Good morning, everyone, and welcome to First Parish in Concord on this beautiful September morning. If you're like me, being able to gather each week is such a balm to my soul. It seems like we are living in such turbulent, stirred up times that what would have been a week's worth of news is sometimes packed into a day or an hour. And these are long, long weeks. And one of the things that keeps me going through all of it is knowing that I get to be with you on Sunday morning, that I get to take a moment to rest, to be inspired, to sing, and to just be in your good company. I'm so glad each of you has joined us for this Sunday service. I wanna welcome anybody who regularly attends First Parish in Concord and everybody else as well. One of the marvels of this technological age is that folks can turn in, tune into church from anywhere in the United States or in fact, anywhere around the world. And so if you have gathered for this hour of solace and comfort and inspiration, know that you are welcome in the doors of this church and I am glad to see you. We gather this morning knowing that we are amid the Jewish high holy days, this time when Jews all over the world celebrate the new year and look within themselves, look at the acts and the deeds from the past year and make amends and resolve to do better in the coming. We have gathered in the midst of this and we hold all of our Jewish brothers and sisters in our thoughts and in our prayers at this time. It is our custom to have everyone who's leading you in worship say hello. So let's move to gallery view and I'll call on folks. Eric Heineke, that was a beautiful prelude. Would you like to say hello to the folks? Hi friends, lovely to be with you. And Sarah Ritchie is here. She is our tech person this morning. We thank you for all you do to keep this moving smoothly. Good morning, it's good to be with you this morning. And our Director of Music Ministry, Beth Norton, is here. Good morning, everyone. I'm so glad to be with you on this day. And our Ministerial Intern, Jade Sullivan. Hi, I am also so happy to be here. And our Social Action Manager, Adrian Betancourt. Good morning. Inviting you to be in conversation with me. And part of the dynamic RE duo, Don Van Patten, is here. Good morning, everyone. Really nice to be with you today. And Reverend Amy Friedman, our Director of Religious Exploration. Good morning. And Reverend Liz Weber is traveling today, so we will miss her. And the last person on my screen, but certainly not the least, Anderson Manuel, good morning. Good morning, everyone. So happy to be here with you this morning, taking a deep breath. <sighs> We are all glad to be here. Nina Totenberg, the journalist, wrote a tweet the other day that said, a Jewish teaching says those who die just before the Jewish New Year are the ones God has held back until the last moment because they were needed most and were the most righteous. And so it was that Ruth Bader Ginsburg died as the sun was setting Friday night, marking the beginning of Rosh Hashanah. I know that many of us are deeply saddened by the death of Justice Ginsburg. She was an amazing woman and provided so much clarity and vision and hope and peace and prosperity to so many people, women especially. And so we honor her as we 
begin our service today. Our call to worship comes from what is reported to be written on the gates of repentance. It says, O source of peace, lead us to peace. A peace profound and true, lead us to a healing, to mastery of all within ourselves that drives us to war with others and with ourselves. May our deeds inscribe us in the book of life and blessing, righteousness and peace. O source of peace, bless us with peace. Let us worship together. If you have a candle or a chalice at home, I invite you to light it with us now. I have mine here. And of course, um, the chalice combines two universal elements. The flame, which is a symbol of truth, freedom, hope. And the chalice, which is a symbol of a container of love, goodness, community. And so these two elements come together to form our symbol of the flaming chalice. And this unites us with Unitarian Universalists worldwide. Let us join in our chalice lighting response. O flame of our faith, Open our hearts and fill our bodies and souls with persistent strength. Enliven our spirits and engage us deeply in this life of ours, the sacred, essential moment now. Our opening song this morning is an ancient Hebrew text. Um, it comes from what we know in the Hebrew Bible as the Book of Lamentations and was written in the 6th century before the Christian era, just after the fall of the first temple. And maybe, Sarah, if you could put the words up on the screen as I read them. This was a time when Jews were feeling far from God and far from the holy. Restore us to yourself, Adonai, that we may be restored Renew our days as of old. And this is a traditional text for this, these high holy days. Hashivenu, Hashivenu, Adonai Elecha, Vena Shuva, Vena Shuva, Chadesh, Chadesh, Yamenu Kekedem. We'll sing this together. I invite you to sing with me. Sing the Hebrew, you can hum along, you can also close your eyes and listen to this ancient words and this ancient music and let it wash over you in this time of returning and restoring. Oh, oh, oh. 
message with you today. So I would invite all of the children or those who are young at heart or everyone really uh, to join me. Um, and today I would like to start by uh, saying that I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. So I'm the ministerial intern and I know a lot of you don't know me yet um, very well, but I'm going to tell you how I came to Unitarian Universalism because I wasn't born into it. I didn't come to church like you're doing now um, as a child. Uh, I was born in Indiana, which is in the Midwest, as you probably know, um, and it's a more conservative area than Massachusetts. Um, and I was born uh, in the 80s, and when I grew up, uh, I was in a very conservative area, and I felt like I didn't fit in. I don't know if any of you ever feel like you don't fit in, but I always felt like I didn't quite fit in. And kids would kind of be mean to me and they would bully me and they would say I was weird a lot. And it really hurt my feelings. And I often felt really lonely growing up. 
Um, also, when I was uh, raised, I didn't really have any church that I normally went to. Uh, my parents didn't raise me with much religion at all. And the closest I usually got to a religious experience was my school Christmas pageant. And we have a picture uh, actually of me uh, in 1996 at my school Christmas pageant. There I am. I am an angel. So, <laughs> so that's how I, <clears throat> how I grew up. And then when I got a little bit older, uh, you know, my feeling of not fitting in didn't really go away. I realized uh, at a certain age that I wanted to be religious. I felt really spiritual, but, you know, I didn't really have any inroads to any religious uh, practice that felt right to me. I also started to realize that I was queer, that I, you know, was attracted to different genders, and I also felt like I wasn't really a girl or a boy. And nobody was really telling me that that was okay at the time. Uh, and they definitely weren't telling me that it was okay to be both religious and queer and non-binary. So these things where I grew up were not okay uh, to, to go together. Um, but fortunately, I got a little older. Uh, I went to college. I found Unitarian Universalism. I remember the first time I went to the UU Church in Bloomington, Indiana. I was like, oh, wow, you can do this. Like, it, it's okay. Um, and I also majored in religious studies. And then as I got older um, and grew up and really came into my own as an adult, I realized that nobody could tell me what to do really like i could be religious and queer and non-binary and it was all right and fortunately uh you know the uu church seemed to be a place that would accept me that i could come and i could be religious i could be my full self uh and i am still here with you all today so i'm so happy that um i've i've come here and that i can be with you uh, so thank you for joining me. I look forward to meeting all of you more uh, as the year goes on and getting to know you better. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Jade. It's good to hear more of your story. We have this beautiful litany of atonement in our um, hymnal and in both of our hymnals written by the Reverend Rob Eller Isaacs that is appropriate for this time of year, this time of the high holidays, when we look to where we have wronged others and try to atone. And we honor the Jewish tradition in, in reminding us, us of this. So I invite you to sing with me this musical litany. Um, I'll sing it once and then let's sing it twice together. And then Howard will alternate with us. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. Sing with me. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. We forgive ourselves and each other. each time that our fears have made us rigid and inaccessible. Mm -hmm. 
we forgive ourselves and each other. struck out in anger without just cause. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. For each time that our greed has blinded us to the needs of others. We forgive ourselves and each other. selfishness that sets us apart and alone. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. For falling short of the admonitions of the spirit. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. For losing sight of our unity. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again. and for so many acts, both evident and subtle, which have fueled the illusion of separateness. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again Thank you, Beth. It's always good to do that at this time of year. Today we are talking about religious freedom and we're talking about it within the context of the Jewish High Holy Days and also within the context of our UU Roots Month on Unitarianism. And I want to assure you that religious freedom is never passive. It is always a struggle. Anybody who's ever been part of a religious minority knows that it is a struggle to keep true to one's own beliefs and to stay in dialogue with those around you who may believe very differently than you do. I wanna take us way back, not quite as far back as Jade took us a couple of weeks ago. We went back to the Council of Nicaea and Arius in 325. I wanna take us back to the 1500s. And I want to tell you about a time in Poland when there was religious freedom and a time in which our Unitarian ancestors thrived and contributed much to the religious conversation. So I don't know if you've looked at a map of Poland recently. I had to go look it up. I always think it's in the wrong place in Europe. I always kind of think it's above Germany, but there's nothing above Germany but Denmark. So no, when you look at the map of Poland, it sits due east of Germany, 
sitting today between what is Germany and Belarus. And we know that Belarus has been part of the news quite a bit recently. So in the 1500s, Poland is one of the major crossroads between Western Europe and Eastern Europe, between the great conglomeration of principalities that was Germany and a similar conglomeration of principalities that was Russia. And we think today of, of countries as being sort of united and in the borders that we understand them. That was not the case at all 500 years ago. You could go from town to town, region to region in Poland and Germany and Russia, and you could be ruled by a whole variety of different princes or lords or folks who were controlling that land. And oftentimes what was going on as well is that those regions would change. The power would change when a ruler died or when there was a little battle between principalities. They would also change when the ruler's religion changed. So in the 1500s, as we know, we'll all remember our Protestant Reformation history. We remember that in 1517, Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the cathedral in Wittenberg and set all of that off. Well, what happens from that is that there is essentially a shattering of the control that Roman Catholicism has had on both Eastern and Western Europe. Though Poland is interesting, because it's a crossroads, very much like Transylvania was a crossroads, it is also influenced by Judaism and by um, Islam on its Eastern side. And so what you've got going on in Poland in those days in the 1500s is you've got the Roman Catholic Church trying to hold on. You've got the uh, Eastern Orthodox Church making inroads. You've also got Islam and Judaism coming in from the East, and you've got the Protestant Reformation coming in from the German side on the West. Well, who should land into the middle of this interesting, interesting soup but a man named Faustus Sasinus. He was a courtier in the Polish queens, one of the, one of the major Polish queens, there were a variety of them, in her court. And he shows up from Italy. And he is packing a whole bunch of pamphlets that talk about the Italian Renaissance and, and about how uh, religion, freedom of religion is something that's important. Well, as it went in those days, basically, if you could get a ruler to listen to you, um, then you got to say whatever you wanted. And all of that person's subjects had to do likewise. So Faustus Sasinus shows up and he starts talking about all of this Italian Renaissance, all these ideas about the Enlightenment. And that comes into this river that's already flowing in which people are questioning the Catholic Church and starting to hear the ideas of Luther and Calvin and some of the other minor reformers. Well, he shows up in a place called Rakow, Poland. And Rakow, Poland was one of those places that was already really set up for religious toleration. There had been quite a, it was a town that was really interested in theology and it had a press. And in those days, remember the printing press was the most revolutionary thing that had come along in centuries. And it was transforming the world because you could print things and then send them off and folks would read them. Well, the Rakow press got busy quite quickly 
and was printing off a lot of pamphlets and booklets, and they were being spread far and wide out around Poland. And so Faustus Socinus was one of the folks that put together what is known as the Rakovian Catechism. And Sarah has a, a picture of it. Here you can see it in its original Polish right there with probably a little bit of Latin uh, thrown in for good measure. This is what the printed catechism looked like. And what is interesting and exciting about a catechism is not only was it a way that people could codify their beliefs, thank you, Sarah, for putting that up, uh, could codify their beliefs, but could also disseminate them to other folks without too many errors. In other words, it wasn't a, like a game of telephone where you say, well, I think so-and-so said this, and it goes on and on and gets distorted. When you've got a printed catechism, everyone can be on the same page. We have another slide here. This is a picture of Faustus Socinus. And these are some of the uh, major points of his Rakovian catechism. And think about it. We're talking 500 years ago. This was really, really radical stuff. So the Rakovian Catechism believes that the Bible is the source of truth and that any human-made additions are destructive. That's interesting because the Catholic Church had added a lot of stuff to the Bible and part of what the Protestants were trying to do was get back to the Bible. This is probably the most radical. Socinus said that Jesus is the human son of God. And there were lots of quarrels about was Jesus God? Was he not God? How did he relate to God? For Socinus and for the other folks around Raqqa, it was important. Uh, the reason that Jesus's message was salvific was not because he had died, but because of what he taught. And so that little collection that we have come to know as the Sermon on the Mount was what people tried to live by. The Socinians had a strict morality. You were to follow the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount. And then another thing that we'll see show up uh, really on the North American shores again in a couple hundred years is the idea that there is no predestination or original sin. In other words, humans have free will and that they are born good rather than sinful. Thank you for showing us that, Sarah. So all of this is getting going around the uh, around seven, 1578 or so in that last part of the 1500s. And what happens is that because of all this publishing and all of this organizing, you have 300 churches that we could consider our direct predecessors uh, forming in, or in and around Rakow, Poland, and they published over 500 books that were going out we can directly trace our own Unitarianism and even little bits of our universalism back to Faustus Socinus and the Rakovian Catechism. But the story has a pretty sad ending as many stories of religious toleration do. By the 1600s, the Roman Catholic Church had regained control. There had been enough wars and enough effort put into stamping out especially our version of Protestantism places, that by 1600, all of the 300 churches had been closed. Many of the folks had been forced to flee. Some of them actually fled to Transylvania. 
and the publishing house, the press at Rakow, was destroyed and burned. I mentioned when we began this story that religious freedom is not passive, that it is always a struggle. And even though those churches didn't survive, their thoughts survived. Because once something is known to be true, once something is taken into people's hearts and they feel it is true, then they act on it. And I want to bring us up to modern day because anybody who thinks that these struggles for religious freedom are over has not been paying much attention. Just last night in North Carolina, President Trump came out on stage. And do you know what the, the crowd was chanting? The crowd was chanting, fill that seat, fill that seat, fill that seat. And President Trump knew exactly what they were talking about, as did everybody in the room, as do we. Fill that seat is the evangelical Christian cry for him to put another conservative justice on the Supreme Court. We live in a country where an amazing woman has died and her death and her life are not even acknowledged for a complete news cycle until folks are trying to wield their power. What we have ahead of us are at least six weeks of this Supreme Court justice seat being thrown back and forth. We will see folks do reprehensible things. We will see people ignore things they said on camera years ago, and we will likely see another justice placed if not before the election, then certainly before January 20th. This is religious freedom. The evangelical Christians do not care much for Mr. Trump at all. What they care about though, is that their values are enshrined and that they are the ones who get to tell the rest of us what to do. They will vote for him and they will vote for him in the millions. We Unitarian Universalists know what it is like to sit at a religious table where we are not very well understood, where our voice is sometimes weak, where our ideas are sometimes strange. But we also have to know that we sit at that table and that our place at that table is very important. And it's just as important to have Jews at that table and Muslims at that table and if you will, even Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and the folks that we don't get along with very well. Religious freedom is a struggle. And unless we find ways to make our voices heard, they will be drowned out. I want to assure you that First Parish in Concord is not going anywhere. We have been doing our own version of religion for almost 400 years. And while it has changed in that time, it has always stayed true to what the people of our congregation believed, what they thought was right, what they thought was true. And all we are asked to do in our day is to simply uphold the religious freedom that we enjoy for the here and for the now, and to teach our children well, and to teach them 
that it matters what they believe and it matters what they do. For Faustus Sassinus, I am grateful for his ideas that come clear through to us, for the brave people of Rakow, Poland, and for all they have given us. We are grateful. Let us not let their light go out. So be it. Amen. Sarah is going to put up a question for you all to think about for a moment and write a response in the chat. How do you benefit from religious freedom in your life? How do you benefit from religious freedom in your life? Put a response in the chat and in a minute or two, I will read some of them. said. My spiritual path is open and free, happiness and freedom from fear. I can talk openly about my atheism, not being arrested while advocating for change. I'm free to believe what I want. I feel free to question, being encouraged to speak up and out. I can explore ideas and history on my own and come up with my own conclusions. I can be kind to those I oppose. I can be Jewish and Unitarian. I'm free to practice earth-centered practices openly, the freedom to learn about other religions, being inclusive about religious practices, 
being able to join with all of you and you use everywhere. We can defend Muslims against current hate groups. I feel free to reject and repudiate sexism and patriarchy in the established religions. To choose, grow, and change. My beliefs can evolve, change, and still be accepted for true as me. There's so many I'm just having to skip over, so don't be insulted if I don't read yours. Uh, Pamela says, I can learn from science to grow. I am free to question and explore. I can believe what I think and feel to be true. Take a look at the chat when you get a chance. There are so many more ideas and thoughts there. Let us sing again. The rabbi Shlomo Karlibach was, had a great influence on music in uh, American Judaism in the later 20th century. And he wrote Return Again, I think as a musical midrash on Hashivenu, our opening, um, our opening song. Return again, return again, return to the home of your soul. I invite you to sing it with me. It is around. Um, I'll sing through it once and then add parts and you are welcome to sing whichever part of this round speaks to you. So please join me in singing Return Again. Return to the home 
together as a religious community is through our time of meditation and prayer. If you would like to be added to our pastoral list, please email the Reverend Liz Weber, who is our Minister for Pastoral Care. You are invited now to speak the names aloud of those you hold in your mind and heart at this moment. I encourage all ages to speak those names aloud, or if you wish, you may type them into the chat. Let us join in spirit of life. Jewish High Holy Days, our prayer this morning is an ABC Darian. What is an ABC Darian? Good question. It is an, a type of acrostic in which the initial letters of keywords appear in alphabetical succession. And why would we use such a prayer today? 
because at ABC Darians were a popular form of liturgical poetry. And this one, this one is composed for that time between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur by Mar Marsha Falk. Please join me in the spirit of prayer. May the year bring abundant blessings, beauty, creativity, delight. May we be confident, courageous, and devoted to our callings. May our lives be enriched with education. May we find enjoyment in our work and fulfillment in our friendships. May we grow. May we have good health. In darker times, may we be sustained by gratitude and hope. May we be infused with joy. May we know intimacy and kindness. May we love without limit. May the hours be enhanced with music and nurtured by art. May our endeavors be marked by originality. May we take pleasure in daily living. May we find peace within ourselves and help peace emerge in the world. May we receive the gifts of quiet. May reason guide our choices. May romance grace our lives. May our spirits be serene. May we find solace in solitude. May we embrace tolerance and truth and the understanding that underlies both. May we be inspired with vision and wonder May we be open to exploration. May our deepest yearnings be fulfilled. May we be suffused with zeal for life. And may we merit these blessings and may they come to be. May it be so.
Today, for our Social Action Candle speaker, we welcome Ruth Ann Bryan Minkin, and she's a representative from our Amnesty International group, and she will celebrate some successes. Please join in our UU The Vote activities so we can have leadership from the U.S. in global humanitarian issues. Thank you, Ruth Ann. Hi, everyone. I'm very happy to be with you today. Um, it's interesting that we've been talking about freedoms, uh, religious freedom. So Amnesty International, for those of you who don't know, was started in 1961 by a British lawyer who, found, who discovered that two Portuguese students who had raised a glass and toasted to democracy had been jailed and given prison terms. Um, and so it, it started as a grassroots uh, letter writing campaign. Um, to free what we call prisoners of conscience, which are those people who are put in prison simply for using their freedom to peacefully express their views, their religion, their politics. Um, so it really dovetails with what we're talking about today. Uh, Amnesty Group 15 uh, has had a long history and intersectionality with First Parish. Um, which isn't surprising given that First Parish's benediction talks about strengthening the faint-hearted, supporting the weak, and helping the suffering. Um, several uh, members of Amnesty Group 15 are also First Parish members. Um, I believe uh, Dignity and Asylum has had a fundraiser or more, one or more with you guys. Uh, two of our members uh, started Dignity and Asylum, which provides um, housing and other support for people in this country who are seeking asylum. Um, uh, one of our big issues right now is immigration. Um, one of Amnesty's big issues, and I know it's a big issue everywhere, but especially in our country. Uh, and so some of our members have also attended the Immigration Justice Task Force meetings. <clears throat> and just to encourage us, um, I wanna talk about a couple of recent um, successes that our group has has been part of. Um, so in our country, um, one of the, so there's a pastor, Stephen Tendo from Uganda, um, who has applied for asylum in the U.S. Uh, he's currently in detention. Uh, for some reason, he has not been granted, he was not granted asylum by our country, which is very disappointing. Um, but before he left, fled Uganda, he was a, he worked on human rights and he was tormented. Um, he was tortured and actually, uh, I think uh, two of his fingers were mutilated and he came to our country um, the proper way uh, through the proper uh, border crossing and, and requested asylum. Um, and anyway, he was set to be deported recently because uh, his asylum had been denied initially. And um, we were help, we participated in some campaigns to, um, to request that they not deport him. And now they have decided not to deport him until he has uh, an appeal hearing. So we're very thankful about that. Um, another issue we've had success on recently um, is, a, is a death penalty issue. So um, the Geneva Convention Rights of the Child says that uh, no one under 18 should uh, be sentenced to death and Amnesty International um, is against the death penalty anyway uh, for anyone. But uh, there was a young man, Magai Nagong in the South, in, uh, South Sudan who um, accidentally discharged a gun and, uh, and killed his cousin. 
and he was uh, tried at the age of 15, um, not given a lawyer for his trial, and he was sentenced to death and has been on death row, and so we had taken him on as uh, an individual at risk case, sending letters, emails, etc., and um, we just found out in the past month that uh, his death sentence has been overturned and that he will receive new sentencing. And we're hoping that they will actually uh, grant him a new trial. Um, so uh, we just, uh, today, it's just, um, I encourage us all to, to not give up despite fears and setbacks and to continue to do our social justice work together so that we can promote everyone's freedoms of expression, religion, etc. So um, thank you so much for having me here today. Thank you, Ruth Ann. It's time for our morning offering and this month we are sharing our offering plate with Black Ballot Power. Black Ballot Power is based in Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts, and is a nonpartisan national campaign to increase Black voter turnout, focusing on critical areas of the country. It supports organizers all over the United States, and it is a project of the Union of Minority Neighborhoods. You can learn more about it at Black Ballot Power. So the instructions for texting will show up on your screen soon. Just text that number a nice round, nice round number, a six zero or an eight zero. And if it's your first time, the, uh, the text will walk you through how to link that to a credit card. An offering for the good work and witness of First Parish in Concord and Black Ballot Power will now be gratefully received.
as we begin to close our service, I would like to invite you to join, to jump to a couple of different things if you'd like. You can join the worship sharing circle. It will begin immediately after the service and be done by 1130 if you'd like to talk further about the themes of today's service and we'll put that Zoom login in the chat. And now Virginia Taylor is here from the standing committee to invite you to the online coffee hour. Virginia. Good morning, First Parish. I'm Virginia Taylor, and I am one of the newest members of your standing committee. This morning, I am your Zoom coffee hour host, and I'd like to invite you to join the link for coffee hour that will be in the chat right at the end of the service, and we'll have opportunities to see each other face to face and to have conversations in small groups. So I hope to see you soon. Thanks. Thank you, Virginia. And to just uh, make sure, use the link that is in the chat. It's a new one. We switched platforms this, this week, so be sure and just use the one that's in the chat, not one that you might have saved somewhere else. There are some other things going on in the life of our congregation. Please pay attention to FP Weekly and the website. Uh, check your spam filter occasionally to see if information is going in there. There's some online learning opportunities that are announced in FP Weekly. I'm starting a class on October 1st, and Jade's starting a class in October as well. You can check out the family worship service every uh, Sunday morning from 9.30 to 9.50, and then you have plenty of time uh, to get to the regular service because commuting on Zoom is the easiest thing you can imagine. So check that out at 9.30 on our Facebook and our YouTube channels want to let folks know that Gospel Choir and the Chalice Choir rehearsals are beginning today. You should have all gotten links to those. If you're missing those links, let uh, Beth know or Amy know and they'll get you the links for those. This last little bit is a little long and I'm just gonna read it because a lot of work has gone into making this statement and we'll send this out tomorrow as well. First Parish in Concord has recently learned that right-wing activists have scheduled a so-called Back the Blue rally on church grounds from 10 o'clock a.m. to noon on Sunday, September 27th. That's next Sunday, without our permission, of course. This group is known, uh, this is a group of known troublemakers who are coming to Concord for a media spectacle. Their aim is to rile up people and to confront them on camera. While we can do little about the rally other than keeping protesters off of church grounds, we have the opportunity to use nonviolent organizing tactics to dampen the rally's message. The church's standing committee and staff are working on a plan of action that will allow most of us to remain at home, attending the usual worship service that morning, while a few of us gather at the church to hold that space. As we develop this plan, we are reaching out to fellow religious groups in Concord, local elected officials, and the Concord Police Department. Adrian is also working on building long-term organizing tools for the congregation, which will be helpful following the election. Watch for more information this coming week, and we'll figure out together how to do this. We can live our Unitarian Universalist values by countering hate speech and aggression with love, compassion, and nonviolent action. And now let us join in our closing song. Hello everyone, please join me as we, for the closing of our service today, we are going to sing a song called When Our Heart Is In 
A Holy Place. It is written by Joyce Poli. And if you listen to the words of this song, it says, when our heart is in a holy place, we are blessed with love and amazing grace. When we trust the wisdom in each of us, every color, every creed and kind, and we see our faces in each other's eyes, then our heart is in a holy place. As you sing this song, may that it brings you comfort, and may that it reminds you of the simple things in life, but also it reminds you to be vigilant and to hold on to what is good. Please join me. turbulent times, let us be like reeds who in the wind or the water can move and who can take shape and move with others, but knowing yet that we are grounded like the roots of the reed, which hold it firm and steady in what it knows, but pliable yet to go where it is needed.
let us join in the first parish benediction saying, go out into the world in peace, have courage, hold on to what is good, return to no person evil for evil, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, honor all beings. Breathe.